told you, his father knows. Oh, yeah. He absolutely knows that his kid's gonna kill him the minute he gets the chance. Uh, and hard cut back to Redwall. Uh, the two stoats are the only ones left at the feasting table. They lament how they can't stop eating. They don't know how. They've never had such a glorious pile of food before them. Thura mentions Farago and is scolded by Dinjai for mentioning him. It'll bring bad luck. <laughs> and they carry on, unable to stop. And, like, this is where I make the comment of, like, it's really sad. Like, this sequence, it's meant to be played off comedically. Like, oh, haha, they have no self-control. They're just so weak-minded. They can't stop eating. And it's like, Brian, have you ever actually been starving before? Have you, like, just lived with that little? It's it's sad because, like, when you're in that situation where you don't know when your next meal is going to be and suddenly somebody plops this huge feast in front of you, of course you're going to eat everything you can. You're going to eat yourself yeah. sick because then at least you'll remember what it was like to have a good meal. Yeah. And the thing is, is like they shouldn't have even been able to get to this point before getting sick. When you're used to starvation, you can't actually eat that much. Mm -mm, your body Especially goes... not things as rich as all of this food. Sugar. Like if it's not like you know, like not white sugar, like still like the sugar in honey, the sugar nat nat naturally in certain fruits, sugar that they probably don't get to have. There's, and this is really weird because like, uh, Brian has 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 been good about this in past books with like, uh, like in in um uh, Mateo, with um the the slaves that they bring back to the abbey, like they. Like, we had a whole discussion about how, like, uh, they had, like, months to acclimatize mm -hmm. to being able to eat properly again. And even then, they're still a little careful with them. Yeah. Um, the people that they bring back from the the uh, the raids that they were doing on the Vermin Band in Mariel. Mm -hmm. Like, but it always seems to be f forest creatures. Yeah that get this treatment it's not vermin vermin are allowed to be disgusting and can eat whatever the fuck they want and they'll just make themselves sick eating too much of it because oh they're gluttons you know and then we get to laugh at them and it's not funny it's unfortunate mm -hmm. and like anyone who has overeaten like for those of us in the west who do thanksgiving um, you know, like if you were a kid and you didn't know better and you overate, like, you know, you know, that discomfort, you know, how bad it feels when you overeat. It's a bad feeling. It really is. Mm -hmm. Like as a, as a kid, I wasn't good at regulating myself and I would overeat sometimes, especially at holidays like that. It hurts. It's yeah. not funny. I can't eat as much as I used to be able to oh. because there were so many years where like I was living off of like dollar store food mm -hmm. uh like i didn't eat as much i ate food that wasn't particularly good for me wasn't very rich and it has like i started being able to eat better again and like i wouldn't get sick but i wouldn't be able to eat as much mm -hmm. and i had to be a little careful yeah um 
And like, I still can't eat as much as I used to be able to, uh, Partially because I've learned better moderation and partially because, like, I'm my body's just not used to being able to eat that much anymore. Mm-hmm. So, uh, Throg scolds Samkin and Arula for not keeping an eye on the stoats. Because uh, what happens is that um, uh, Mrs. Spiny is like, oh my god, somebody please come make them stop. Yeah, they are literally making themselves sick. Please. Like, we finally have an adult who steps up to be an adult instead of, requ- like, instead of having... Two, like, children-ish, teenagers-ish, watching two adult creatures. Just, why? Well, we don't know how old the stoats are. That's true, but the implication is is that they're they're older than Sam, Kim, and Arula. Well, the implication is, like, they're older teenagers, I think, because they do keep hanging out with the younger ones. They don't have the same, like... That's true. They feel teenager Yeah. Which would also explain part of why they're just so dingy. <laughs> it's like, I'm trying to think of it. That's a word. I'm trying to think of a nice, nicer word here than what could be used. They're goofy. Yeah. Uh, the otters and a few other adults pull them away from the table scoldingly and the soats thank their rescuer, saying it was poverty that had done them in. Like, they, they swipe all the food away. The stoats are like, no, our food. You're wasting um, it. Brother Hollyberry offers sympathy, but also wickedly teases that they'll only get to rest after getting some of his medicine. They belly ache about their aching bellies and in fear over the physicking. And as they feared, they are forced to take the medicine. And it's not a funny sequence. It's not. It's really not. Like, the whole thing just makes me sad. They treat them the same way that they might... Like, here's the thing. The way that they're being teased is the way that you would tease, like, a young child who has eaten too much. That's true. Like, they're teasing them like they would tease any of the dibbins. Yeah. So at least they're being treated kind of like red wallers in that. But the two stoats don't know that. Mm -hmm. And the way that they're complaining about it, like, you would think somebody would have taken them a little bit seriously and been more sympathetic. Mm -hmm. But no, they're vermin. They don't get sympathy. Yeah. So, like, they're not being treated cruelly. They're just being teased, which is its own kind of cruelty. Yeah. Teasing. At least in this situation. Teasing is only fun when you really know the other person and you're in a place to... You're in a good place to accept the teasing. <laughs> Sports start up right at twilight, and many good times are had. Until Formal takes a good sniff of the air and warns of a thunderstorm coming in. Uh, the Dibbons set up a fuss over the ruining of the game, but Nasturtium and Faith both encourage them to take the games inside. Samkin and Arula are scolded for going near the archery sets. Bremen set, uh, sends them to move the tug-of-war ropes instead. Hello, he's just like, don't you dare touch those. And then he's just like, okay. Yeah. Uh, they just get everything and everyone inside as the rain begins to hit. And Tud realizes he's left his glasses out on the west wall steps. Samkin offers to go get them. He's already soaked through anyway. So he and Arula head out into the storm. And they're having so much fun playing in puddles. Jump, like, just taking their sweet time. They find the glasses right where Tud said they were. 
they aren't afraid of the lightning as they're like making their their way back t- into the abbey. They're like going slow, having like fun, being goofy, until a loud crack of thunder and then a bolt of lightning hits the abbey. It strikes the weather vane and they are nearly stabbed by the sword of Martin then as it falls from the weather vane. I like your note here. Uh base Martin, calm down. Yeah. All right, Martin, calm down. Uh, Arula drops to the ground and, like, covers her head. Mm-hmm. And Samkin just freezes in place. And the sword of Martin sticks into the ground right next to him. Like, the, the, the sound effects is literally an italicized... Yeah, if he had moved at all, it would have sliced him in two. Yeah. Uh, he pulls it from the ground, and the two stare in awe at the amazing sword. It just—it's—it's it's a good sequence. <laughs> it is on the far end of the same storm. Mara and Pickle are about to run out. Uh, are are about run out. They've been running all day, ever pursued by the vermin. Mara gasps that she can't make it, but Pickle insists. When the rain and thunder starts, it helps him spot a half-hidden cave among the dunes. And, like, I had a moment where I was just like, I don't understand enough about dunes to know whether this is right or not. I mean, like, as, like, growing up, like, you you said you've been to Monterey. You remember, like, the sand dunes there at Monterey? The sand dunes are, like, built right up against, like, regular foothills and stuff like that. So I imagine that this cave that they find... Is just like it's a place where the dunes have like blown over an actual hill, and since it's probably like on the leeward side of the wind, you can still see bare earth there, because it's it's implied. Yeah. Well, to there's be also stri- there's also the fact that it's covered by like grasses and stuff, right. and so that means that there are roots in the sand keeping it from eroding. Exactly. Um, because I was sitting here like at first I was like a lot of like sand dunes on beaches now unfortunately erode. Right. Because, like, people have destroyed the plants there. Right. Um, but this is in a place where it's like, that hasn't happened, so these dunes are probably actually fairly sturdy. Right. Because I also remember in California, the sand dunes in certain places where you could take a cardboard box and just ride down them uh-huh. because the sand would just whoosh. Yeah. But again, like, talking about... They- there's ones that I've seen in California that are protected. Like, you're not allowed to take motor vehicles. Like, they have areas where it's like, okay, you can take them here. But there's other areas where it's like, you are not allowed to bring cars, motorcycles, nothing. You can only walk here and only on designated trails. And those sand dunes, like you said, are covered in vegetation. And it's very pretty in its own way. Yeah. Uh, so they make it to the little cave. And with a little bit of digging, it gives them enough room to lay out flat. Like, it was basically just, like, a shelf covered in front with these marsh grasses just kind of hanging down over mm-hmm. it. Uh, the rain washes out their tracks and leaves the pursuing vermin, one of whom is Sick Ear, at a loss. They can't find a hint of them. Eventually, they move away, but they're too scared of Farago and Klitsch to actually give up. Uh, Pickle wakes up a while later, his stomach growling. The searchers are gone, but there's no food to be found. Mara tells him to go back to sleep. She's still wide awake, and sleeping will at least let him ignore the hunger. 
I can't blame While him. While he sleeps, I can't blame him for being hungry, like cranky here. It's like by this point, they haven't had food for like almost a day, it's implied. Yeah. So it's like, you know what? No, he's justified here. At this point, yeah, he's justified for being hungry. Yeah. They haven't eaten all day. It's nighttime. They ran a shit fuck time. Through sand! And through sand, the adrenaline and terror means that they used more energy. Mm hmm. And now that has worn uh, off. So, yeah. Uh, while he sleeps, she takes stock of their situation. No food, no water, a strange land with enemies all around hunting for them. But she refuses to go back to Salamandastron. And the no doubt self-righteous Earthstripe and hares. And like, I definitely don't blame her for this either. Like, we're definitely getting a, prod a prodigal son set up here. Um, but also, like like you mentioned earlier, we've all been teenagers. You know how it feels when you have to admit, like, I was wrong and you were right. Like, even if the parent is a good parent, there's still just going to be that tiny little bit of, like, I told you so. Yeah, and you hate it because it's like, I don't want to hear that you were right. I made a mistake and I hate it. I need your support right now, not your smugness. Yeah. And as she tries to plan what to do next, her tired eyes begin to close. Of course, until the grass over their cave rustles and a reptilian head pokes down at them, hissing. Yeah. I thought it was a snake at uh, first, so I was like, sneaky snake. Yeah, I was, thinking, uh, I was thinking that might be it too, but I didn't say anything because it's like, he just says reptilian, so it could be anything. Yeah, it was the hissing that got me. Uh, she calls for Pickle to wake up as she grabs for the dagger. Back at Redwall. Yep. <laughs> In the Great Hall, all gather to admire the sword. It's been dried and given a, a pride of place? Pride of place, yeah. Isn't it place of pride? I've heard it used both ways. Uh, okay. Uh, given a pride of place on the great dining table. Samkin and Arula tell the story of of its finding a few times over, Samkin treating the sword reverently. And Bremen is highly suspicious that this is just another prank from the pair, despite Arula's protests and Samkin's promises that it was true. And I like that Brian is pointing out a little bit of like, hey, Samkin does kind of have the position of boy who cried wolf here. Like he's, he's trusted, but he's not trusted because he's still a kid. And he still has that reputation for being a little bit of an imp. Yeah. Uh, Sister Nasturtium steps up to Sam Kim's defense. Hasn't she been saying odd songs and poems recently she didn't know? She thinks it's the spirit of Martin trying to tell them something, and they'd better listen. Abbas Vale asks Brother Hal to look for such incidents in the records. Much can be learned from the past. Uh, meanwhile, with as late as it is, she says they must end the games for the night. The Dibbins begin to protest, but she declares that if the weather is fine tomorrow, they can play games all day. It changes the whales into cheers. And I like this kind of softness from her because this shows her being very cleverly diplomatic. I like that. Um, and yeah. like when you're young... Having a, like having a holiday or even just like a day out cut, cut off, like taken away from you, when you're young, 
Like even when you're an adult, that's horrible because you get all excited. You build yourself up for it. Then all of a sudden, boom, all that excitement, all that energy you built up has nowhere to go. And you don't know what to do with yourself, you know? Yeah. Uh, Brother Hal feels the notch in his fur left there by one of Sam Kim's stray arrows. But it only makes him chuckle, and he promises the young squirrel he'd do his best to find an answer in the old scrolls. Sam Kim is very grateful, as is Arula. The two stoats, of course, wake up late that night, feeling quite chipper after the medicine and the little nap. They sneak out of the infirmary, and while sneaking, grab some snacks from leftovers left about. After that, they find the games that had been left out and start playing with them. Uh, Brother Hal finds old records left by uh, Abbot Saxtus and puts two and two together. The sword in the weather vane, the lightning strike. Of course, it had fallen from the roof. He leaps up in his excitement. And the two stoats have found the archery equipment. Why would you and bring the start firing? Just I'm angry. Why would you bring the archery equipment inside with real? Uh, because you can ruin the bows and arrows if they're left in the rain. But also, why did Bremen not lock them up or put false? Heads if he doesn't trust Sam Kim, mm -hmm. so this feels like negligence on Bremen's part. Every adult's part, truth be told. Yeah. Uh, the two stoats have found the archery equipment and start firing willy-nilly for the fun of it. They're, like, firing at the roof. Mm -hmm. Like, the ceiling and stuff. They're not firing at each no. other, just at the ceiling. Although they do nearly hit each other a couple times. They're like, hey, watch it, it's coming back down! And they have to dodge, and it's just like, where do you... If the arrow go... Oh, it must go down. Stupid. Although it does yeah. state that they've never had access to bows and arrows before. Yeah, they only had rusty old daggers. Yeah. So, uh... Naturally and predictably, this doesn't end well. Yep. Brother Hal, who was running downstairs to tell everyone his discovery, takes a stray arrow straight to the throat and dies with a sad gurgle. And I knew this was coming. Like, the minute they started playing with the archery equipment, it was just like, oh, no. Oh, Brother Hal's going to get it. Because this is something, like, Brian likes to do where, like... You know, you'll have the setup for an accident, but then it'll be a vermin who comes in to actually make the accident happen. Because, um, like, this could have been Sam Kim. It could have been him several times throughout the earlier part of the story. But that won't happen because Sam Kim is the hero. So instead, we have the stoats who come in and have the, uh, have the bad thing happen instead. Like, they're the example of what could have happened. Also, I'm sorry, Izzy, I can hear a bird on your end, and it's very cute. There is a bird right outside my window just it's so singing happy. its heart out. It's so cute. I'm leaving it in if I can. <laughs> anyway. It was really startling because I wasn't expecting this to happen, like, whatsoever. I was expecting them to, like, steal some food, fuck around, find the sword of Martin as they were fucking around, take it, and fuck off. Mm -hmm. That's what I thought was going to happen. Mm -hmm. In, I, this feels contrived. Yeah. Uh, it's not necessarily an M. Night Shyamalan twist, but it feels contrived. It does. I mean, there's, there's, uh, there's a little comment I make later. Let's finish reading that and I will make my comment. Yeah. 
Realizing that they've done and doomed themselves, the two stoats grab what food they can, and the Sword of Martin, conveniently left out without protection. They put it in front of Martin's tapestry for the night. Um, Because ritual, I guess. I don't know. Uh, As dawn starts to color the hall, the two make a break for it, gloating in their mix of bad fortune turned good. Because they're, like, panicking, and then they find the sword, and they're like, oh, treasure. Yeah. Oh, shit. Yeah. It's like, we got our food. We had a good night's sleep. Fuck it. Let's bail. Yeah. Uh, Kit's note on this is ScreamingFox.jpg. Um, <laughs> I know, I know they need a plot point. They need something to get Sam Kim and Arula and the sword out of the Abbey because the poem, like the, the prophecy was like, oh, I'm going to leave the Abbey, but then the hero will bring me back and you'll have a new hero and a new badger mum. And I know they need to get out to either meet up with Mara or get to Salamandastrom, but I'm still going to be angry about it. <laughs> As you should be. Because uh, this is a contrived plot point. You could have just, like you said, um, if they had just taken the sword, that probably would have been enough. But I will say, I will say that having Hal get killed allows Samkin and Arula to leave alone because the adults are too busy trying to keep everyone together. If they had yeah. just lost the sword, then they would have been able to send out an entire search party. So yeah. I can see where he's coming from, and I can see the logic behind it. I'm still going to be like angry it. about it. I still won't like it. It's bad. Yeah. I don't like it. Uh, to continue the chain of bad events, Sam Kim is the first to awaken. Not wanting to wake anyone else, he tiptoes out of the dormitory and down the stairs, wanting to work out some of his excited energy with the toys. And he wants to see the sword mm-hmm. again. Uh, he trips over Brother Hal's body, then trips again when he stumbles across the abandoned bow. And just as he gets untangled from it, Friar Bellows comes across him standing with a bow in paw over the dead body of Brother Hal. He stares in horror, asking, what has Sam Kim done? And I made the comment of some Rube Goldbergian plot nonsense right here. Yeah, like, it's it's a little comedic in that, like, Sam Kim's paws get tangled in the bowstring. Mm-hmm. Um, and, like, he falls falls down, has to, like, untangle himself, ends up standing up with the bow and paw. Yeah. So, yeah. It's so, it's so sad because, like, um, Sam Kim was in such a hurry that he stumbled over Brother Hal's body and fell. With a cry of horror, he rolled over and leapt to his feet, only to trip and fall again. The bowstring had become tangled in his foot paws. He extricated himself and stood up holding the bow. Just like, you poor kid. Yep. It's just, it's like, I I actually hate it. I don't, I don't like this. It's fair, but like, I saw this coming as well. Because, like, he had set up... Like, you saw this coming, and I'm sitting here like, I didn't see this coming at all. Because Sam Kim had been warned repeatedly, don't touch a bow and arrow, and also there was this big, like... Brian made sure to emphasize the fact that Sam Kim has gotten in trouble with bows before. He has also nearly killed people before, including Brother Hal, who he'd nearly killed once already. And now, here he is standing in front of Brother Hal, who is dead with an arrow, holding a bow, like... Of course things are going to look bad. Of course, like, there's going to be that moment of, like, oh, crap, what did the kid do? So, here's another thing. Why are they letting the children play with real bows and arrows? Because no one here has any discipline and there's no badger to give them discipline. 
Put a cork on the fucking end of the arrows, you fucking idiots. Back in the medieval era, they did have practice arrows. They knew how to make children safe. Well, sort of make children safe toys. Sort of. Anyway, onward, uh, there's, uh, Kit makes a note that the chapter art is delightful here. It is literally just Earthstripe with his, like, standing, like, legs akimbo, arm, fists raised to the heavens yelling, and I'm just like, old man yells at clouds! It's very delightful. It is. Um, Sapwood made it back to Salamandashan. He didn't die. Huzzah! His paw is treated and bound by Windpaw, and all the while, Earthstripe paces and fires off questions at him. Is Mara safe? He's frustrated Sapwood can't give a straight answer about that. Who was their leader? How many are there? And Sapwood can't answer, and he gets help from a contingent of hares. All of them know Earthstripe is well beyond reason right now. Oxai steps between Sapwood and Earthstripe, saying he's better off leaving the hare be and focusing on getting their defenses going. They'll have a vermin horde on their doorstep soon, no doubt. And, of course, Earthstripe turns his gaze onto Oxeye, and he, he like, uh, uh, shrinks under it, because, like, he's a big-ass- Oxeye is a big hair? Earthstripe is still a badger. Yeah, and he's close to, like, he's angry dad mode. And yeah, anyone but... who's seen angry dad who is defending childs, you know that yeah. kind of anger. Yeah, but- Oxeye's words do get through to Earthstripe. He thanks Oxeye and starts giving out orders to ready Salamanistron for war. Seal entrances, check food and water, and prep weapons. They'll be giving the vermin a fight, all right. Now, I googled Starbob, which is the name of one of the hares, and could not find a plant name. It was like, did you mean Spongebob? Did you mean Piranha Plant? And I was like, no, I didn't mean either of these things. I mean, so it says... uh, For those of you who live in the UK, if you know what a Starbob is... Or not... It's a... Are you talking about Seawood? No, I was going to say, um, this is where we have our, our, our good old Sarpedon coming in to save the day. Ben, help! Ben! <laughs> ben, ben! Help! What's a Starbob? Like, my brain goes to Star Thistle, but I'm sure that's not it. Because yeah, no Star idea. Thistle is oh. a very Californian weed, as far as I know. It's, it's very weird. Like, you don't realize that you can miss something as small as a weed when you leave a place, but like visiting <laughs> California last year, we were like driving down to the coast to like hang out in a little town for a while. And like, we're just stopped on a highway in the middle of nowhere at a stop stoplight. And I'm just like, oh, there's star thistle. I miss that stuff. <laughs> it's like, wait, what am I doing? I hate that stuff. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of the vermin, Farago preps his crew for the march to Salamandastron. Forgren the fox and Raptail the rat do some maintenance on their weapons, all the while muttering quietly to each other, careful to be silent if either of the weasels come near. Why are they going to this badger mountain? The excuse it'll make a good base doesn't fly with them. They're sure Farago, Klitsch, and Sick Ear aren't telling them something. They don't fancy dying for whoever knows what, but Forgren has caught a whiff of what it might be treasure. He can't say any more as the father and son duo walk past. Frago grins at them in approval and carries on as Klitsch questions him impatiently. They've lost the element of surprise. Why aren't they moving now? Frago wants to wait on the hunters who were out chasing Mara. If they come back, captive or no, he can make an example of them to quiet the mutinous mutters he's been hearing. Klitsch thinks it's all a waste of time and storms off. 
to the laughter and mockery of his sire. And as much as like I I would like to see loyalty in the vermin because it would be it would be such like a nice little change of pace like actual familial loyalty um the rivalry between these two is really fun to see like the old versus young experience versus energy it's a well-worn trope but Brian is pulling it off very successfully yeah. here and I'm enjoying reading it yeah the, their relationship is honestly very enjoyable uh, I don't remember what happens to either of them by the end of this. I'm pretty sure they both die. But I want to know who kills who. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, we know that the heroes are never allowed to get revenge. So my guess is that... Um... Earthstripe is probably going to kill Klitsch. Uh-huh. Or not Klitsch. Uh, what's probably going to happen is whoever the white badger is, which is not Sunstripe, as I have learned, I was wrong. <laughs> uh, but... Uh, it's probably going to be the White Badger who ends up killing uh, Farago, and Earthstripe mm-hmm. will kill Klitsch. Mm-hmm. Or, my prediction is Farago is going to kill Klitsch in the end, because it'll be like, alright, old man, it's time for us to establish who's really the boss here. And my thought is that Farago is probably just going to murk the kid. Yeah, Or Klitsch will kill Farago, and then the Badgers right. will kill Klitsch. Right, they'll there's, kill him. There's, there's a few options we've got here. We'll uh, uh, place your bets. Give your votes in the comments. <laughs> Yeah. And remember, hit that bell, like, and subscribe. Oh, fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> okay, at high noon, fuck off. At high noon. <laughs> it's high it. noon. At high noon. <laughs> uh, the hunters are spotted coming back in. Frago, uh, Frago sends a much battered and bruised Gotha to go get Klitsch and the rest of the army. Uh, Klitsch asks the lead stoat where he's been. Apparently, stoats are the stupid ones in this book because the poor animal named Mergu says that he's been doing what Farago told him to, chasing the badger and the hare. Thoroughly enjoying himself now, Farago says, no, no, those hadn't been his orders. His orders had been to capture the pair. Now Mergu catches on and starts to back up, defending himself and his men. They'd searched all night and day through the storm. Uh, Farago still takes his ear off, like, throws his his skinning knife and takes off Mergu's ear, leaving him to scream on the ground. He turns to face the rest, letting them know plainly that he's heard the whispers and mutters. He knows they think him going old, senile, weak, but he's just as strong as ever. He's been killing longer than most of them have been alive, since... But uh, since before they were milk sopping babes, mm-hmm, as uh, he put it, yes. And when they go to fight the mountain, they'll either end up well paid and well fed, or cursing the day they're born. He leads the this army tr- in a chant, declaring death to the enemies of Farago. It's basically Farago, Farago, Farago. Yeah. He has a good name for that. He does. This is such a Three- good villain speech. I know. Do you want to read it, or do you want me to read it, or... Uh, let me get to it. Alright, here we go. Found it. When I give an order, I expect it to be carried out. McGrew here was lucky. He only lost an ear. The next one who disobeys me will lose his head. 
Oh, I know some of you think Farago is getting old. Here he winked at Klitsch. Or Farago is losing his grip. Some of you even think Farago is going deaf. So you gossip behind his back. Farago smiled at Forgren and Raptail. They blanched visibly as he continued. Let me tell you, corpse makers, because who knows about me better than myself? I am Farago the Assassin, scourge of all the southwest lands, or wherever I choose to set my claw. I was murdering and skinning when most of you were milk-slopping babes. No beast can outsmart, outfight, or outwit me. Now I am leading you against a mountain fortress to do what you do best. Fight. And fight you will, and bleed, and die if I say so. You will either end up wealthy and well-fed, or cursing the day you were born. The assassin leapt onto a nearby rock and twirled his daggers until they flashed like wheels of light in the sun. His blue eyes twinkled like brilliant brilliant twin pits of evil as he threw back his head and roared, DEATH TO THE ENEMIES OF Farago!" Spears, lances, knives, swords, pikes, and bows sprang into the air as the rocks resounded with a fearsome chant that ripped from the throat of each corpse-maker. Farago, Farago, death, death, Farago. So it, it it's such a good fucking speech. It is very well done. Yeah, like Farago is a good villain. <laughs> mm-hmm. All right, uh, back with Mara. Uh, she can't find the dagger, but Pickle does with his butt. Stung and startled, he leaps from the den, taking the reptile with him. Like, he fucking headbutts this lizard, and they end up locked together, tumbling ass over kettle, like, down the dune, just mm-hmm. fucking yowling at each other. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's revealed to be a yellow-bellied sand lizard. Uh, Pickle has it in a good headlock and refuses to let go. And, like, the, the lizard's got, like, his claws, like, and he's just latched onto Pickle's clothing and fur, not letting go. They're just, like, arguing at each other over who to let go first. Uh, and the stalemate is broken by Mara tugging on the lizard's tail. And to her horror, the tail comes clean off. <laughs> yeah. And the I lizard mean, to be turns... fair, she's probably never met a lizard before, so she wouldn't know. Yeah. Uh, the lizard turns on her and calls her, like, a striped dog. This was his best tail. Took him all season to grow it. Like, what the fuck? Or not all season, but many seasons. <laughs> yeah, To grow many it. Seasons. Like, bestest tail. Uh... Uh, angered at being called a striped dog, she knocks it ass over tea kettle uh, and throws its own tail after it. Who does this lizard think it is? Uh, and the lizard like sits up, like uh, tears pricking at the the edges of its of its eyes. First of all, lizards can't cry. <laughs> uh, they're crocodile tears. <laughs> yeah, they're crocodile tears. Fuck off. Uh, first it's lost its tail, and then in anger when it reveals that the cave the pair had been squatting in was its cave, and it dug it itself! Uh, Pickle, of course, has no respect for that, uh, threatening the lizard until Mara steps in to stop him. Uh, she apologizes and says in the end it might even be better. They dug it out a little more, after all. Uh, she then gives their names, and we learn that the lizard's name is Swinky. Uh, he's none too pleased, though, that they dug out his cave, saying that it is far too big for him. Uh, Pickle, uh, 
What? Stop it. Stop it. Shut the fuck up. Uh, the uh, lizard's name is Swinky. Pickle, as most hares do, insults his name, calls him Stinky. Uh, which, uh, racist much, Pickle? Oh, yeah. Uh, and then has the audacity to ask for breakfast. Swinky says no, no chance of that around here. It'll take him seasons to regrow his tail. This is the bestest tail he'd ever growed. How could they do this to him? Uh, Mara offers to give him breakfast if Swinky can lead her and Pickle to Salamandastron. Uh, he agrees eagerly. Uh, though his idea of a good breakfast is marsh flies and swamp worms. Uh, Pickle lies that they've got loads of them in the mountain, and how would he like them cooked? Swinky says no cooking. He likes them alive and wriggling. Yum. Which uh, then Kit ca- uh, calls Swinky Gollum, and I was like, be nice to Swinky! <laughs> hey, I like Swinky! Swinky's just a victim in all this. He really is. Like, the things that he does is completely justified, honestly. Yeah, like, first off, like, Pickle is an absolute dick. They do Um, actually, like, lie to him about having, like, marsh flies and swamp worms. mm -hmm. Although Mara probably was not lying about giving him breakfast. Probably not, but Pickle here just keeps making things worse. Because the hairs are racist. (sighs) Anyway... Uh, as the morning moves on, they suspect they're not being led true, but they don't have much choice of what to follow. All they get to eat are some, uh, <laughs> I'm, uh, Kate, you're gonna, you're either gonna be proud of me or yell at me because I just thought of this, some sandy lions. <laughs> Instead of, uh, Kit wrote sandy dandelions and my brain was like sandy lions. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> Lines. Yeah. Uh, and it's it, Kit and I make up like we we have a like brief mini discussions like they should know where Salamandershawn is. They've wandered the country before. What the, how did they find their way back when they were wandering around before? The sun is right there. And it uh, my point is that they were crossing country that they already knew like the backs of their paws plus they always had hairs spying on them to make sure they didn't get lost yeah so like they were never actually alone my thing is is how the fuck can they not see the mountain yeah well for one thing for me the thing that frustrated me the most is that you've got the sun right there even if you don't know exactly where the mountain is it's like okay if you know the mountains to the west you know you need to be going west. Yeah. I don't know. It's it's weird. I feel like it's just a, a plot contrivance to make sure that they mm-hmm. get real, like, right lost. And there's mm-hmm. also a little bit of, like, uh, if they wander around without somebody to guide them, like, if they make a wrong choice, they could run into the vermin horde. Right. Uh, but it is still, like, eh. Frustrating. Yeah. Come noon, the tired and hungry pair are ready for a nap in the good warm sand. Swinky says, sure, he could use a nap too. After all, they'd been in his cave all night. He didn't get to sleep. Uh, the two pass out soundly, and about an hour later, Swinky sneaks off, muttering about how he'll show them for their rude behavior and lying to him about the food. Again, completely justified. Mm-hmm. Um, he's not stupid. No, he's not. Uh, we cut back to Redwall. The bright summer morning is lost on the shocked Redwallers. It always seems to be a really nice day after something horrifying happens. Because the contrast is jarring. Uh, 
I mean, I will say this. Um, after my dad died, it was very similar. There was mm-hmm. the. It was one of those things where it's like the son had the audacity to give me nice days. I honestly don't remember the like the day after my grandfather died, what the weather was like. Like that whole day, my memory is of like being woken up at the three a.m. Going over to grandmother's house, like everyone just kind of be quiet, milling around, and then somebody like one of the neighbors who was friends with them giving us like a big box of donuts. Yeah, that's usually you know? how it goes. Uh, yeah, it's, it's that it's is around food. when I got like one of my favorite squishmallows because Chevy bought it for me. Oh, yeah, that's a uh, uh, Bertato who is actually a hedgehog, but I didn't oh. know that at the time. So he's a bear that Bertato. looks like a donut, but I called him Bertato. I love him. Yeah, he's the stuffed animal that lives, is like a pillow. I sleep on top of him because he's, mm-hmm. he's soft and squishy. And Squishmallows are machine washable. Oh! So anytime he gets get gross, one. I can just eat him into the... They can go in the washer and the dryer. Uh, games are canceled and Sam Kim sits alone in the infirmary. He's understandably in shock, having been led there, then ordered to stay by Bellows and the Abbess. They want him to stay put until investigations are underway. And now I want to point out, because we didn't get this, but it mm-hmm. is definitely something that was there and probably happened. Being shot in the throat means that uh, to die that quickly, uh, Brother Hal was shot through the artery that's in your throat. Mm-hmm. There'd be blood. There would be a lot of blood, which means there's a lot of blood on Brother Hal, there is blood pooling on the floor. Sam Kim was probably covered in it. Mm-hmm. Which means Poor that he kid. is absolutely just in shock because he's covered in probably still a little bit warm blood because Brother Hal hadn't been there for very long. Mm-hmm. Of somebody who was a friend. A friend that he had almost killed before with a bow and arrow that he probably did, in fact, like, even if he put on, like, a, a like, bravado about it he probably was freaking out on the inside a little bit like oh no i gotta be more careful yeah Uh, because you do note that he does not go after a bow again at least not while he's in the abbey yeah he behaves himself for the most part yes because like he knows like yeah no i need to practice more Mm. and probably shooting the uh the apple that uh mrs uh spiny was going after was probably him like proving hey i've gotten better yeah but he was doing it in a really bad way but so yeah he's probably like it's it's oh the trauma of finding Mm -hmm. somebody who has been murdered is Mm -hmm. like finding a dead body is traumatizing so um they want sam kim to stay put while investigations are underway uh, because they don't want him to, like, wander off. They don't want anybody to accuse him of anything. Because he's mm-hmm. in shock. He found a dead body. They're doing the kind thing. They're they're being responsible. Yes. Yeah. Uh, the majority of Redwallers eat breakfast outside, uh, understandably. Mm-hmm. They're probably the still ab- cleaning the floor. Yeah, God. Oh, man, and it's sandstone. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's not gonna come out. <laughs> they don't have bleach. <laughs> I mean, I think they had something. Uh, you have reading... like a similar, very like, uh, like the soaps that they have are definitely much stronger than the soaps we use now. Okay, it was invented in the late, or at least in Europe in the late 18th century. Okay, so they probably don't have bleach, but they'll have like lye soap, which is still particularly strong. 
Yeah. Um, they'll have other cleaning agents and stuff like that. Anyway, uh, the Abbess Formal, Bremen, and Nasturtium convene in Cavern Hall to talk over what had happened. Bremen cannot eat. He asks to know where Samkin is, and the Abbess tells him the youngster's in the infirmary. And she is a voice of reason, telling him that it's best not to say anything they'll regret later. They don't know what happened other than Hal is dead. Nasturtium also says she thinks Sam Kim is innocent, and the abbess agrees. Bremen, of course, is quick to point out how Sam Kim had been found bow in hand, which I understand where he's coming from, because, like, he has been saying, like, Sam Kim mm-hmm. has almost killed people twice. Yeah, And now exactly. it has actually happened. But, no, he is 100% justified in what he is saying. Yeah. Brother Hollyberry also points out how traumatized Sam Kim has had been, completely unable to speak, and that it may be important to note that he hasn't seen the two stoats that morning. Mm-hmm. Formal volunteers to go check if they're anywhere in the grounds, and Bremen is quick to pounce on this new target in for his anger. Um, he just goes straight to anger, like you said. Mm-hmm. He skips a few stages of grief, which I get, I get. This is, like, him... Like, you can go through the stages of grief in whatever, like, amount of time. Mm-hmm. Like, it's uh, it's all different. But the Abbess also defends the Stoats because they don't know. They don't have all the information there. And Bremen's response and reactions to the fact that the Stoats haven't been seen that morning is uncalled for. They don't yeah. know what happened. They don't know if the Stoats did it. And it is against their morals and ethics as abbey dwellers to blame them immediately basically the abbess is responding in the proper uh vaguely christian way that she should be yeah Um, abbess vale gives the stoats a lot of a lot of humanity she is very mm -hmm. kind to them and Mm -hmm. i like that about her Like, Mm -hmm. I have no doubt that if they brought the Stoats back and she got the full story from them, she would have shown mercy towards them. It was an accident. Yeah. They were just playing around. They didn't know that Brother Hal was coming down the stairs. Like, she probably would still banish them from the state, from from the Abbey, but she probably would have banished them with a pack of rations, with fresh clothing, probably with a safer weapon, too, or something. Well, yeah. maybe not a weapon. She they don't really have weapons. But. Honestly, the abbot, this abbess, Abbess Vale, feels like the type of person who would be like, okay, I know that there is a place where you can live this many miles away. Here is a map. Yeah. Here is some food. Here are some things to defend yourself with, as well as some other supplies. You can live there, and you are allowed to come and ask the Abbey for help. We just can't let you back in. Okay? But we are still here for you if you need us. Because we know this was an accident. Yeah. There's this really neat farmhouse a ways down the road that could always use a little help. Yeah, right? (laughs) Or the the old church. Yeah. You know, there's stuff. There's stuff around. So, like... I feel like Abbas Vale would have been that person. Like, everybody mm-hmm. else would have been like, no, we need to, like, send them away. Uh, like, away, away. Make them just go back to wherever the fuck they came from. But it's like, no, they. this was an accident. And they were learning. Yeah. The thing is, is that they were like, this is the most, these are the two most sympathetic uh, vermin characters we have had for the past, what is this, the fifth book we've read? Yeah. Yeah. These are the most sympathetic 
vermin characters we have had so far, and they are still the clown chorus. Mm-hmm. But all Brian, of the, the vast majority of the Red Wallers have been nice to them. It's just Thrug and Bremen that have been weird to them so far. Mm-hmm. And even Thrug had moments of like sympathy for them. Like, yeah, Thrug they, they was can't... just weird at first because like they were two vermin who were trying to sneak in instead of asking yeah. to come in because they don't know any better. And so right. he was like, where do you think you're going? And Bremen, yeah. though, is like they're vermin. Bremen's yeah. the one who is like letting his racism get the best of him. Mm-hmm. And Abbas calls him out on it. Yeah, which is what she should do. This is what you should do. If you see somebody even yep. being like mildly racist, call them out. And this isn't even just a Christian thing, guys. This is just a decent human being thing. Yes. So, like we said, the abbess sharply scolds him and he ducks his head, ashamed of his quickness to judge. Like, he realizes that he was in the wrong. Mm -hmm. To break the awkward moment, Hollyberry shows them the paper that had been in Brother Hal's paw, which is probably also covered in blood. Probably. Um... I wish that they had spent more time trying to find this answer, like that maybe Brother Hal, like the answer to the, 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 uh, uh, well, uh, uh sword had... thing. Like, I wish that they had, had taken some more time to find that answer. The because... thing, though, is that this answer is not important in the long run. No, but it's, I wish that they much... had maybe had to go to the, like, the the archives and like look at the papers that brother Howe was looking at yeah at the gatehouse yeah uh, but again in the long run it's not important to the no. plot so he's speeding it along he's yeah. he's being ex- he's expediting the plot which is not necessarily a bad thing he knows yeah, it's an important part of it but not i think the pacing would have been nicer and i think it would have given us some better moments as With it how? went forward, but I get it. It's, this is a yeah. kid's book. Brian wants to get to the action. So yeah. they come to the same answer <laughs> that Brother Hal did, but are puzzled as to why it had fallen. Just then, Formal returns to tell them he has many beasts hunting for the stoats. But it's also important to note that the great sword is missing as well. Bremen shouts out angrily about the ungrateful vermin and what he'll do once he finds them. Uh, and it dissolves into shouting until Tud walks in to ask Formal if he'd checked the gates before they all went to bed. Of course Formal had. He always makes sure that they're locked. With that confirmed, and Tud is like, yeah, no, I know, I just wanted to double check. Uh, Tud tells them the east one was unlocked. Uh, with that bit of knowledge, plus the missing food, the messed up toys and arrows all about the Great Hall, it is enough to condemn the stoats. Like, it's still conjecture, because they don't have the stoats there, but right. it's it is justified. Enough, it is a justified conjecture enough for them to go after the stoats and be like, hey, what the fuck happened? Yeah, why are you stealing our shit? <laughs> yeah, because, like, the stoats are gone. There's food gone. They find, like, arrows, like, that are uh, scattered across the floor and in the table and stuff. And, mm-hmm. um, yeah, it's, like... The abbess makes sure that they have all of this information before she is like, okay, we need to go find the stoats. They probably did this, and Samkin didn't. Right. Um, Like, this is also just enough to be like, okay, this definitely wasn't Samkin. Samkin wouldn't have stolen the sword. No. Or unlocked the gate. Like, what? Yeah. He, yeah. Uh, The abbess declares that once Brother Hal is laid to rest, they'll go in search of the stoats. For now, someone needs to go comfort poor Sam Kim. 
and Arula, who'd been listening at the keyhole, scampers off before the adults knew she was there. Like, she goes to Sam Kim beforehand. Mm-hmm. She's like, boy, we gotta book it. Alright, let me... Mid-morning sees Hal laid to rest. Nope, I passed it. Would you like me to read it? Hold on. If you want to, you can. I just found okay. it. Okay. Your seasons have run their course, old friend. In your good life, we were proud to take part. But in springtimes unborn and summers to come, you will live in each red waller's heart. They bury him on the grounds. Um, there are wreaths and posies of wildflowers and small tokens from his friends. Thruggan puts like a small quill pen in. Baby Dumble puts his favorite straw mouse doll mm-hmm. in alongside it. Mm-hmm. And I'm... That's the kind of thing like it immediately made me think and had me getting... T- like I'm getting misty-eyed right now thinking about it. That's why like, babies don't understand a hundred percent when they give away something that is their favorite to somebody. Like mm-hmm. that permanence isn't there. And I, it made me think of a time where I traded my favorite doll at the time. It was a little cat, like a little red tabby cat, like orange tabby cat toy to mm-hmm. the little girl who lived in the house we were moving into. Like that family was moving out and we were moving in. And I don't remember what she gave me for it, but I gave her my cat toy. And then, you know, like a week later, it was like, where's my cat toy? (laughs) Uh Uh-huh. Because I was like six, seven. Uh I was young. I didn't know. But at the same time, it's like I saw that she really liked it and I gave it to her. And this is Dumble like, okay, this toy makes me feel really happy. It will make Brother Hal feel happy. Mm-hmm. And it... Mm-hmm. It's very good. While this happens, Sam Kim and Arula uh, sneak down from the abbey. Sam Kim with a quiver of arrows and the bow that had killed Brother Hal. Uh, some some uh, poetic justice stuff mm-hmm. going on there. Mm-hmm. Arula with a sharp knife and a good sling and pouch of rocks. They escape through the east gate together. And here's the start of our story. Like, the they yep. leave. They have to go, like, retrieve the sword, get their revenge. They have to avenge Brother Hal, etc. Mm-hmm. This is the basic recipe of a Redwall book. Yep. The mentor exactly. figure is slain, and the young hero has to get revenge. Yep. The adults go up to the infirmary, Abbas Vale understanding why Sam Kim was too upset to go to the funeral. But the uh, infirmary door is open, the infirmary is empty, and there's a messy message scrawled in charcoal on a pillowcase, which... It's just the next page over. Yeah. The stoats are the ones who did it. We will fetch them back and the sword too. Tell Friar Bellows it was not me. Do not worry, me and Arula will be alright. Sam Kim. God, that, that, that last bit. It w- like tell Fire Bellows it wasn't me. The fact that he's still so scared that Fire Bellows thinks it was him. I know. He's just like it wasn't it it Sam Kim is a good kid. He's a little mischief maker, but he's a good kid. And it's mm-hmm. just this tears me up. Mm-hmm. Because this is something that's gonna traumatize him for like probably oh, the rest of his life, you know. Yeah. And then Abbas Vale wants to send someone out after them, like, immediately. She's like, we have to send people out after them. And, but Holly Berry says, no. 
The boy punts been... this mouse into the stratosphere. This boy has been marked by Martin, and they just have to trust that. Like, no, you don't. You don't. They are children. Go give them help. Good God. Kit in this note says, even Jesus had disciples, you twitwit. Yeah. Twitwit is a very good insult, Kit. Thank you. Um, and then we go to Salamanderstron again. Uh, Sunset at Salamanderstron has the hares watching the slow approach of the vermin horde. Oxide goes about comforting the younger hares and encouraging the old. The veteran's present is a presence is a great comfort to the others. Earthstripe has secluded himself in the chamber. Only badger lords and ladies may enter. The walls are carved with their history and history yet to come. And this is where we get mentioned that Sunstripe is a previous badger lord. And I was like, why did yeah. I think Sunstripe was in this book? And it's because of the white badger. We both were like, that's Sunstripe. Like, no, it's not. It's not well, it's, I mean, like, he is at least mentioned. I think it's justified. Yeah. Uh. Anyway. He begins to carve on the wall, throwing herbs into the lantern fire as he says a chant. Uh, we get to see badger magic. Badger magic, badger magic. Seas and lifespans ebbing, flowing. Past and future merge as one. Mountain rulers coming, going. Seasons future, seasons gone. Badger warriors from the shades. Stand beside me, guide my paw. O oh, wise lords and gentle maids, restrain my rage, preserve our law. Like, whoo, mm-hmm. that's some good shit right there. Awesome, sorry, but badger magic, badger magic, badger, badger magic, magic, badger, badger magic. magic. Mushroom, mushroom. Mushroom. <laughs> I mean, there are herbs involved, so. <laughs> okay. Uh, Sapwood pauses in his preparations to take food from a slightly snooty hair named Thistle. Like, he's got a very, he's described as having an aristocratic nose, and he's Thistle from, like, the Western Thistle Downs or something like that. Yeah. He's, uh, so he's, like, from a family. Yeah, he's from a, a family, F. like, a, a, a lineage of hairs. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sapwood wonders if the vermin are trying to scare them, and Thistle shows he's less than impressed. They should be resting, not putting on a torchlight show. Like, he's like sniffs as he looks down his aristocratic nose. Mm-hmm. Like he's got a he's a long aristocratic nose. He's definitely like very like I don't I'm not impressed. Yeah. Uh <laughs> uh is grateful though for Thistle's unflappableness. And of course below, Klitsch says this is all stupid. They could have struck in secret. And Frago says, no, it's a show of force. All of his fighters, including Farago, are carrying two torches. And the hares cannot see what's carrying them in the darkness, be they big, small, well, or poorly armed and armored. And there's one more trick. He gives a sharp whistle and puts out his torches, like he just snuffs them in the sand. The horde follows suit. Now he thinks the hares will be too paranoid to sleep while his horde gets a good night's rest. And this is an actual d- tactic, too. This is an yeah. actual historical tactic. Yeah, and it would have worked on anybody that wasn't the hares. Like, this would have worked on Redwall. Absolutely, yeah. Uh, Klitsch still doesn't think it's a good idea. And, of course, Klitsch is right. Mm-hmm. Oxeye doesn't fall for it. He's even a bit disgusted that the weasels might think them so gullible. Uh, like, he orders uh, six hares to stand watch and for the rest to get some sleep. And, of course... Uh, in the cave, Earthstripe comes out of his trance. This is where we're like, badger magic, badger magic. 
the sketches uh, to see what, like, to read what he's written. The sketches show Mara and a badger without stripes. And that badger puzzles him. It, like, tickles at his mind. But he moves, he moves on. Two sets of vermin eyes with a small carved object between them. And himself near some badger runes. And he reads them. Faint heart shall be made strong, but a warrior's fate for the mountain lord. Blue eyes brings battles ere long, whilst the maid comes of her own accord. The mount shall be ruled by badger kin, the sword shall make moss flower free. The abbey will take its guardian in, far from this rock by the sea. And basically what this is, is, uh... A faint heart shall be made strong, so Mara will be made strong. This is talking about Mara. Mm-hmm. A warrior's fate means that Earthstripe is going to die. Mm-hmm. Uh, blue eyes are going to breed like the two vermin are gonna. It's gonna be a long battle with them. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's going to basically take the entire time that it takes for Mara to come into her own. The mount shall be ruled by Badger Kin. When Earthstripe dies, his sibling will take his place. Right, whose the name we badger. don't know yet. Yeah, we don't yeah. know the badger's name. The sword shall make Mossflower free, as it do. Mm-hmm. The abbey will take its guardian in, which is still very likely going to be Mara, far yeah. from this rock by the sea. Like, it, Mara is going to move far away from her own home. Yeah. So, you know. Yeah. Also, nope. like Sam, Sam Kim is very much going to be in the lineage of heroes, too. So. Yes, yes. It's like with... Um, fuck what was his name i can't remember it either <laughs> but in the last book you know one yes. of them was like the warrior the other one had the sword but mariel's weapon of choice was the gallwhacker yeah she was the warrior but um the D- dandan 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 was the sword bearer he wasn't the hero he was just there to work for martin this kid was literally just martin's paw you know yeah okay um knowing his fate doesn't bother him he has a war to focus on and every badger lord knows that eventually this is what it comes to i don't think we ever get a badger lord who just dies naturally well nah, probably not i think that the vast majority of them die in battle they get a warrior's death they go to valhalla yeah <laughs> you know they go to the gates of the dark forest with honor mm-hmm uh, Sapwood comes to fetch him, telling him it's three hours before dawn, and will he join the others? Earthstripe says he'll join them at the hour of dawn to see the vermin horde. For now, it was time to armor up. And we're back with the stoats. The two stoats head south. Dinjai is having a lot of fun cutting his way through the forest with the sword. Like, he's just swatting at undergrowth and trees and shit. But Thura is lagging noticeably. He doesn't know why. Uh, he just feels so done in. Thura asks if Dinjai will carry the rations, but Dinjai says no, he's too busy with the sword. Instead, they can stop and eat lunch, there'll be less to carry that way. Thura is only too happy to slump down while Dinjai gets to stuffing himself. Dinjai says they need to move on quickish, though. No doubt the Red Wallers are after them. Thura is in a bad way, though, managing to stutter out that he's sick. Bad sick. And this is where Kit and I were both like, oh no. <laughs> yeah oh here comes the illness oh no oh no uh like this could be a fun book to cover in uh-huh. this this the, these interesting times we live in <laughs> i wish i wasn't living through historical events 
Let me tell you, if if somebody tells you, I uh uh uh, I wish that you live in uninteresting times, that is the highest like like a uh, prayer somebody can give you because let me tell you living through interesting times fucking sucks <laughs> literally it's like in one of the books here's like it's like may you live in, in may you live in interesting times is a curse it's like the heaviest curse you can place upon it someone. is such a curse uh dinjai is not inclined to touch his sick companion a uh, good choice uh, mm-hmm. And takes up the rations. He says he'll move on ahead a ways until Thura feels well enough to catch up. Uh, spoiler alert, Thura does not catch up. Uh, nope. Sam Kim and Arula follow the very obvious trail easily. Thura disapproves of such wanton destruction to the surrounding trees and plants. It's like, Formal would have a fit. Yeah. Uh, Sam Kim, seeing how fresh a cut on a willow is, says if they hurry, they should be able to catch up. And a voice calls out, mocking and teasing. The two come alert, looking for the speaker. It is an ancient, eccentric wood vole. He's dressed oddly and has a beard so fluffy you can only see just his eyes. Like, he's described as looking like a dandelion. Why the Or beard? you describe him as looking like a dandelion. But anyway, he yeah. looks like a dandelion. Why the beards, Brian? I love how infuriated these beards make you. I don't know. They just make me angry. Uh, he is Fergal the Hermit. Which sounds like a Fraggle Rock character. Uh, <laughs> he knows the kids are from Redwall. Uh, and how does he know? Well, it's the way that they talk. Yeah, they have the Abbey, the Abbey accent. Mm-hmm. Uh, he just likes being alone, can't stand other critters for too long. Like those Relatable. stoats that came by earlier. Arula asks if he's seen them. Uh, and he scolds Arula for uh, her mole speech, saying, like, why can't moles ever talk properly? And I'm just like, shut the fuck up, you old fuddy-duddy. <laughs> uh, because sh- that's classist and racist. Shut the fuck up. But shut the says, hell of your mouth. Yeah, shut the hell of your mouth. Uh, but says that, yes, he has. And oh, he hated how they treated his forest. Uh, also, the kids don't really need to hurry to catch them. Uh, Sam Kim introduces himself and asks, why not? Oh, because one's awfully ill. Fergal's never been ill a day in his life. But oh, the things he'll say when they get to that nasty stoat. Uh, He leads the kids off at a brisk pace, one they struggle to follow. Uh, An hour later, they find Thura, and after a careful check to see if he's faking being still or not, they confirm that he's died. Basically, uh, they take an arrow, snap the point off, replace the point with a bundle of leaves, and shoot it at him. And it just kind of thumps on him, and he doesn't move. Mm -hmm. Uh, Fergal is quick to warn the kids off from getting too close it was a fever or egg that had done him in and well now he's got to go business elsewhere you know and if they bury the stoat be careful not to touch the body Uh, they're a bit sad to see him go but maybe that's just his way Um, Arula is quick to dig a tunnel next to the stoat and Sam Kim tips him in with his bow it's the best they can do for him it's a very Um, nice little gesture Disease is scary in in times and settings like this because, Uh like, people didn't understand the science behind this kind of stuff. It is Uh so, so terrifying. And especially, like, we've experienced a plague that spreads quickly and with, like, we were struggling to understand how. Uh And, like, I'm... This Uh is why, like, uh, plagues is a line for us in... Not a line, but it's like a veil. Uh, I think we've had one game specifically that focused on disease and we very heavily, like, trigger warninged it. 
Uh, yeah. But, like, we try not to do that because it's not something right now we wanted to. We started Hope's Hearth as a way to escape that. Yeah. It, it's why, like, Vel's story, as much as I love Vel, has very much been put on the back burner because her, her whole world comes about because of, um, like, uh, <laughs> so, yeah, her story is very gently put on the back burner for a dec- back, back burner for a decade or so. Yeah. It'd be like that. And this act of kindness they give the stoat, this is the softness that I think I said last recording that they the stoats deserved. This is what the stoats deserved in life, this kind of softness. Like, Arula even says, like, it's the best that I can do for him right now, is give him a proper burial. They don't just leave him for, like, some snake or other creature to come along and eat him. Mm-hmm. They bury him. They give mm-hmm. him a proper grave. They don't mark it that we know of, but they bury right. him. So, and it's you know, more than he would have ever gotten from another compatriot. Yeah. Back in Redwall, Friar Bellows begins showing symptoms. He tries to cool off by the pond and confuses Thrug, who comes to sit behind him with complaints of being dizzy and sweating but feeling cold. And Brother Hollyberry opens a window to shake out a blanket, and Thrug uses the opportunity to ask if he should bring up Bellows. Hollyberry says yes, then returns to young Hedgehog, who is also feeling sick. Tud finds Burley in the cellars, limp and tired. He starts to scold him for getting into the October ale, where Kit yelled about, wait a second, they don't use a month system. Why do they have October ale? And I was like, you're just now questioning this. There was a whole discussion in the server about how it, sometimes it's just easier to use touchstones, kids will understand. And I was mostly true. being sarcastic. Yeah. Um, we don't have time to get into that discussion, but, eh, you know, join our server and you can go read it for yourself. Or yell at us on Tumblr or Twitter. Uh, Burley defends himself that he hadn't touched any of it, and Tud carries his friend up to the infirmary. By evening, the infirmary is full, and Hollyberry and the abbess are taking, are talking of using an upper gallery as an extra sick room. Uh, and Dumble tries to tell the abbess about a visitor trying to get in, in a, 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 a funny old un with a cloud stuck to, on his face. Uh, she dismisses Dumble, though, but thankfully, Faith lets Fertile in and introduces him to the abbess, saying he's seen Sam Kim and Arula. Abbess Vale says thank you, and she'll take him to get food and drink while they speak. Um, over a snack, she asks him how Sam Kim and uh, how are Sam Kim and Arula. Uh, he dismisses them as fine, but not the focus right now. He'd looked over the stoat Thura and come to the conclusion that he'd died of dry ditch fever. And I'm, yeah, we're both just like, you could tell from a glance that that was a dead body, and that it had dry ditch fever, And but also, like, he's ancient, which means that yeah. he's got a lot of experience. This is just yeah. one of those things where you've got, like, the you really know. old dude who's just, like, got knowledge. Mm-hmm. And... I also make the comment, like, you make the comment of, like, is this a Scarlet Fever analog? I did a quick Google, and it's probably a generic really bad illness. But the symptoms of Scarlet Fever were first described in 1578, and the bacteriophage for it was identified in 1915. So it's well within the range of vaguely medieval stuff Brian likes to pull from. Yeah, and, like, from what I remember about reading, like, other books and stuff, um... Uh, uh, like from the times, like also, you know, Little House on the Prairie has scarlet fever in it. Apparently scarlet fever, there was a variant of it found in Tulare and it was named after Tulare. So now Tulare has a name, a brand of, or Tulare has a type of fog named after it as well as a type of scarlet fever. Wild. (laughs) 
Yeah. So, like, it could very well be, like, a Scarlet Fever analog, which was one of those things where it would come on suddenly and take hold and affect mm-hmm. a lot of people. Mm-hmm. And it was just one of those things. Mm-hmm. Uh, at least it's not tuberculosis. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Mar- We're not in the now- Victorian era yet. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. So, Fergal says that uh, Thera died of dry ditch fever, and Abbas Vale is terrified and asks if he's sure. And he says yes, as much as he wishes that it wasn't. Um, Mara wakes up to a heavy net being thrown over her and Pickle. Uh, he awakens, and Mara holds him down so she can figure out what's going on. Um, they're under, like, a very heavy, like, woven net. It's got very small, like, uh, spots to see through. It's held down by very heavy boulders on on all sides. Uh, she can see a horde of toads dancing in victory around them, and the little lizard Swinky leaps forward, hissing in triumph. Uh, now do they want to hurt him, steal his home, and take off his tail? Mara tries to apologize and tries to apologize, realizing they'd made a dangerous enemy by accident. Hadn't she promised to reward him for leading them home? And Swinky calls her and Pickle out on their lie. Uh, he'd gotten his breakfast from King Glagweb, sure enough. Um, sorry, I know we need to hurry, but small side yeah, tangent. Um, now the right Christian thing to be, like, if Swinky was a, like a good Christian s- lizard, <laughs> he would have turned the other tail and forgiven them and be like, oh, fine, I'll help you get out of here. But, you know, he's not. But I still can't see him as the bad guy in the situation because he's right. They ruined his home. They stole his tail. Like, they broke his tail. They caused him bodily harm. And they lied to him about food. So, like, you know, he's he also goes to, like, the one guy around who is the big boss who actually keeps his deals. And, you know, he's... If, if it was, like... If he had done the same to Mara and Pickle, if he had, you know, taken their home beating them up, taking their tails off, he would have been a horrible villain. Yeah. God. Okay. Pickle calls out uh, threats and insults. Uh, Before they can exchange any more words, though, a great toad comes up and threatens them with a trident, saying, food slaves do not speak. If they speak, they die. And, uh, of course, Kate and I are just like, ugh. Yeah. Just like several of our, po- our comments from here on out are just, ugh. Because it's the toads. And, you know, they're all uh, tribal tropes. It's bad. Savage stereotype. It's bad. Mm-hmm. It's bad. Uh, Mara says she thinks he's serious, and the pair hushes. We learn the toad is King Glagweb, and he approves of the trade Swinky offered him. He's given his marshflies and swamp worms like a sack that just wiggles. Uh, mm. Happily backs off, saying thank you, and gloating at Mara and Pickle. He's like, I, I trust you, King Glagweb. I do not need to count these. I know that you have not, you have not given me a bad trade. Thank mm-hmm. you. And like, basically just sticks his tongue out at Mara and Pickle and leaves. Yeah. Uh, the pair have to walk under the heavy net. The toads prod and whip them if they slip, fall, or slow down. Uh, some of the smaller ones even sit on the trailing ends of the net for a ride. Mara takes the brunt of hauling the net to help out Pickle, who tired easily. Although he does try to help her back, keeping her paws free of the front of the net. Um, like, and this is, Kit points out, like, uh, Pickle is like a dog that can talk back to Mara. Pretty like he's much. a hindrance. And like, yeah it's but he's also moral support like if mara didn't have pickle i have no doubt that she would have just fucking given up 
Probably. Like, uh, she has that... to take care of him. But again, he still fills the dog role in that case. Yeah, he does. Uh, anyway, by nightfall, Mara is forced onto all fours, Pickle doggedly crawling along next to her. They're suffering from thirst and pain. They're blind from the sand. You know, even mm-hmm. in their miserable state, they notice the earth beneath them is changing, becoming marshy. It's becoming a lot wetter. There's, like, grasses and stuff. Uh, they finally have a brief rest as they reach the Toad's homes. Many Toads, bearing Firefly Lanterns, arrive to take a look at the captives. A Firefly lands on Pickle's ear, and he yelps, claiming it had bit him. I don't think Fireflies bite, but okay. They don't. Pickle is just being a whiny bitch. Yeah. King Glagweb, uh, it was probably a mosquito, and Pickle's just being a weirdo. Mm-hmm. King Glagweb lays about with the trident, then orders his guards to drag the two into the pit. They're thrown into a muddy, like, clay-lined pit. Like, wet clay is impossible to climb up. It's very slick. And you'll end up just making the walls more sheer by digging out more of the clay if you try to escape. Which Pickle does try to do, but he simply slides back down. A voice warns them not to try again, or they'll all be punished. Mara feels about, and a small creature appears in the gloom, saying they're all food slaves here. What do these two call themselves? Uh, Mara introduces herself, and we learn the creature is Nordo, uh, Ikea-ass sounded name, the son of Lagalog, <laughs> leader of Kit Put the Goosem, but it is actually the Gorilla Union of South Stream Shrews of Mossflower, the Guosom. I'm sorry. No, no, I also misread it as Guosim at first, because it's usually Guosim, but for some mm-hmm. reason, Brian was like, no, it's the Guosom. Altogether, there's 34 of them in the pit. We learn the food slaves aren't for serving food, but for being food. The toads are cannibals. <sighs> and when there's no food, they eat the weakest amongst them. Six of the food slaves have been eaten the night before, and the rest are to be fattened up and served on the king's feast day. Uh, Pickle makes a crack about being served food to become food. Makes a chap feel wanted. Uh, Mara, though, bristles about all this and asks Nordo, why aren't they trying to escape? Nordo, of course, says, they are. Are they with him? Of course they are. Uh, Nordo explains the plan. They have a wren who's a friend named Leaflad. Uh, when he drops an acorn into the hole, that's the day to escape. Uh, Pickle makes a smart aleck comment about escaping with an acorn and gets a last name rebuke from Mara. Like, like literally, Folger. she calls him Folger. Yeah, she's like, Folger, behave yourself. Yeah. Uh, before she asks Snorto to continue, he explains the acorn is the signal that his father will be attacking from the southern river near there. Their job is to defend themselves until Logalog can get there. They'll do so by hiding in the cave they dug and using stones and improvised slings to fight back when the toads try to attack them. Because the toads can't hook them out from the cave. Mm-hmm. It's just far back enough that they ca- the toads can't get their weapons in there. Mm-hmm. Uh, a guard above tosses down some food, laughing as they do so. Mara gathers up what she can before it gets too wet and like muddy and unable to eat. Uh, and they all sit down to eat like the tubers and dandelions and grasses roots, and stuff. Yeah. Roots. It's all veg- vegetation. There's no protein. While there's life, there's hope. Uh, uh, wi- uh, life will uh, uh, find a way. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was just like, y- y- you okay there? Um, I had, I, I was, I was trying to do a very direct quote because he does like stutter through that sentence. He does. That, that's uh, it, yeah. Shrews are great. I love them. I'm glad that we're getting them in this book. I actually really do like Nordo. Nordo, good. Like, very good, strong start. Okay, time to power through these questions. You gotta go. Let's go. Um, yeah. Favorite weird Abbey food. Honestly, whatever that hair snack was, I'm like, I don't want to eat it, but I want to see it. Like the metal cream they kept talking about. It's like, I want to try that metal cream. Yeah, it does actually sound very good. Yeah. Uh, it sounds like a dip, almost like a dessert yeah. dip. Yeah. Because they don't, they, they talk about like dipping and spreading it on things. Yeah. So, so it's probably like, like a wanna, sweet. Yeah. Like maybe it, like cream cheese. Yeah. Uh, was there an the... animal that appeared that surprised you slash didn't animal subvert expectations? Swinky. Yeah. Like, Swinky actually gets his revenge and gets out of there. You know, it's like, good for he you. He only loses a tail. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's always the lizards, it seems. Like, every time we read a book, it's always the reptiles and, like, uh, amphibians. Yeah. Um, gets in, gets f- out. <laughs> yeah. What's your favorite part so far? Honestly, I was really enjoying just, um, like... The, the name day, like, celebrations, again, just the little community time together, the games that they were playing. Yeah. Just the kind of a little bit of a soft moment before things went to hell in a handbasket, you Like, know? before things went south so fast, I did actually think that, like, Thura and Dinjai playing with, like, all the game stuff was cute. Yeah, like, they're just They were like, fun. oh, they were playing games while we were napping rude and if like nothing had happened they would have been able to play the games the next day yeah so it was like a hopeful moment and then everything went to shit mm-hmm. but like for just a brief moment for a brief moment i thought well maybe maybe but no <laughs> they're vermin they don't get to have a good no, time they don't get to uh and from ben in the server uh uh, just quoting what was because it was copy pasted mm-hmm. my question btw is that doesn't a volcanic base on an isolated coastline with an army of deeply indoctrinated minions who die before they betray you sound much more like a villain lair than a hero one yes yeah it does and can you think of the best villain type and minions to rule it from the book so far reviewed Clooney. yeah he'd be able this to make seems good use like of it Clooney would have fucking loved salamander strong mm-hmm. He could send out minions to the ocean and to the, you know, inland. Yeah. It would be a perfect place for him to have a empire. Honestly. Uh, are the toads vampires or werewolves? Uh, mm, I'd say they're vampires of like the Nosferatu, like the real nasty, like kind of vampires. Yeah. I think Swinky's a werewolf. Swinkies He's not werewolf. like, these aren't villains. <laughs> this is just like, okay, they're, they're antagonists. Yeah. So we're kind of stretching the villain thing to include antagonists, so, you know. Yeah, I think they count, though. Yeah, they do. So. All right. Sorry for breezing through that, but I do have a stream I have to do, which, uh, when we, uh, when this comes out, the second part, the, the stream will have happened, uh, already and happened again. Uh, each Sunday for the month of October, I am doing a stream with um, Standing Stones called Does Anybody Remember Bob? Which does involve content warning, um, illness, and plague. It is about a support group of people affected by a very eldritch, weird illness. 
it's very good. Our characters are going to break your hearts and you should come watch it or watch the VODs. <laughs> so, uh, and I have to do that immediately after this. So thank you for listening to Abbey Archives. We are grateful you lent us your ears and we hope you enjoyed your time with us. Uh, this has been Izzy. You can find me on Twitter and Tumblr at the Sean, or you can find me on Twitter at the Sean Deer and Tumblr at lotsadeer.tumblr.com. You can find the actual play Solar Hope Punk podcast I'm on at Hope's Hearth Pod. Please keep an eye on the Hearthside Enclave Twitter for other podcast announcements hopefully happening soon, uh, as well as possible streams. Uh, Hope's Hearth Season 3 should start at the end of October. Uh, and we, and my commissions are open. Commission me. I'm Kit. You can find me at Kitsy in a box across Tumblr, Twitter, uh, Inkblot, you know, most art sites. Uh, I do commissions as well. I also design like adoptable critters, uh, custom adoptable critters called Kits and Day, all those good things. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Uh, you can find us both at Abbey Archives on Twitter and Tumblr. Please follow us on Tumblr. We post there a lot more than we do on the Twitter. But if you follow us on Twitter, you'll get to see artwork that we keep getting added in by uh, Suleiman Doodle, uh, at Suleiman Doodle on Twitter. We keep getting added in the Redwall artwork that they keep doing. They just posted one of Martin the Warrior with his broken sword. It's very good artwork. Highly recommend. <clears throat> Give them a follow. I am going to follow them on here because I keep forgetting to... I'm going to follow them on my main. I keep forgetting to do that. Uh, so, yeah. Okay. Uh, so, may your hearth be warm and your heart be merry from us to you at Redwall Abbey. Okay, clap. Clap. Let me open it. Uh, nope, I opened the wrong thing. No, 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 no. Ah, ah, ah. Okay. Okay. Uh, at the the forty five. listening. If you like this podcast and want to help keep it going, please consider donating to our coffee, linked in the description below. Follow our Twitter and Tumblr at Abbey Archives and join our Discord. This podcast is part of Hearthside Enclave, and some other shows you might like are Hope's Hearth, a solar hope punk actual play podcast, and Post-Apocalyptic News Radio, a Fallout-inspired audio drama. <laughs>